0: Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its Associate Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministries, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the pastor at the Bread of Life and the founder and executive director of Church Partnership Evangelism. It's been my privilege to speak out into our valley for over 20 years now. We're considering the nature of the church. There is the visible church, which has its good points and its bad points. And you can check it out at a local church near you. And then in the visible church is the invisible church, the community of faithful who have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that church, that invisible church, is glorious and perfect even now. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 again refers to the glory of this invisible church. It says this, speaking of the Father, He has put all things under His feet. Speaking of Christ, the Father has put all things under Christ's feet and has given Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The local church gives expression to this. This reality is set within the local church, but this reality is not complete in the local church. It's imperfect in the local church. We know it. We can study it. Why would an individual want to be committed at times to a local church that oftentimes doesn't function as we ought It ought? Well, because in the local church, there is the expression of, there is the life of, there is the breath of, there is the promise of, there is the golden thread of the invisible church, which is the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? It means they have all of Christ we could ever have. He is completely and utterly enthroned in the life of this church. And he will be throughout all eternity. And this is the wonder and this is the glory of the church. It is the wonder and the glory of the local church. It's the wonder and glory of our church as well. Our glory is that we give expression to and we contain within us the wonder of this invisible church. This is our honor. Our church is imperfect. It is subject to error, is in need of correction, but behind the visible flaws of our church lies the invisible glory of the fullness of the body of Christ. When Paul was writing to local churches, he had to confront them, he had to correct them, he had to teach them. He... Became at times, you can see, angry with them. At times he was discouraged. How could this happen among you? But always when Paul wrote to these local churches, you'll read as you read through the letters of Paul that he never loses sight of the wonder of the local church. He never in all of their struggles and all of their weaknesses and all of their failings, he never loses sight of the glory of the invisible within the visible. And we never lose sight of that as well. We are to love the church, by the way, for this very reason. You want to have a reason for loving the church. In fact, you want to have the only sustainable reason for loving the church, our church, any church, the church of North America in this day and age, the church down the street. Here's the reason. Because these churches, our church, gives expression to the glory of the invisible church. We are to give ourselves to the church and gather as a church and sing as a people together for this very reason, we're to carry out the sacraments of the Lord's table and baptism for this very reason. We give visible expression to the glory of the invisible. All of our members gather together here in this place to represent and to give expression to the members who are now seated in Christ in the heavenlies, joining and worshiping Him as His spiritual body, as His spiritual home, as His spiritual temple, as His regenerate family. That's why That's why we're to love the local invisible church. That's not why a lot of people love the local church. A lot of people love the local church because of what it has been. They have a nostalgic approach to the church. They come to the church hoping to find the thread of a good memory of fellowship and communion of past days. Oftentimes their nostalgia is not incorrect. They might look back and remember better days. They might better days when the songs they think are better, when the teaching was better, when the focus was better, when it was less corrupted by the marketing models that have been developed in the last 30 years. And they go back to the church holding on to the thread, trying to find the ancient tunes of past days. This is not a good reason to love the church. Paul did not... Love Corinth any less than Paul loved Ephesus. Even though Corinth was a failing and struggling church, and Ephesus seems to be a wonderfully striving and healthy church, Paul did not love Corinth in the same way that he loved Ephesus because Paul remembered what had happened when he was with Corinth and he had a nostalgic memory of coming to them and preaching to them and bringing the gospel to them and receiving it and he thought the same things about Ephesus. In other words, the one thing that helped Paul to love Corinth as much as he loved Ephesus was not simply thinking of what Corinth had been in his past experiences with them. That's not the tie-in here. He loved Corinth and he loved Ephesus the same for not what they had been he loved them for what they were. Visible expressions in all their weakness of the glorious invisible church. He was not going back to tread through. You don't find in any of Paul's writing a backward glance trying somehow to tread through to some backward past and say, this is what we wanted. Let's go back to what we were. You don't even see Paul looking ahead and saying, let's go to the future. If we only do this and this and this and this, then you'll be a church that we can enjoy and I can love and I can take glory in. No, Paul loved the church for what it was. Even its failings and its weakness, not nostalgic of the past, for what it was. What it was at that very moment. There are some who love the church for what it was, but there are many more in our day and age who love the church, the local church, for what they think it could be. They look to the future of the church. They come to the church and they approach it with a vision that would bring to it greatness and they love it based upon the vision that it could achieve. They have ideas and plans for how the church could grow, how it could be effective, how its fullness could be realized. I remember one individual visiting our church years ago and saying, I'm so excited. They didn't come to our church. They were not from our area. I'm so excited to be here. I can see this church is really going to go places. That's not the reason to love or be excited about the church. But it's the vantage point that we've been taught for some time, that the wonder of the church is what it can be, what it could accomplish, and there are individuals who have wonderfully biblical visions for the local church. They see how the church conducted itself in past days in the apostolic era, they see a pattern in it, they're trying to achieve that pattern, they come to a local church that's not living in that way whatsoever, and they say, but this is what we can achieve, and they come to the church with an excitement and an enthusiasm, young pastors, young Christians, an idealism to say, oh, we can be this way, and it's a good biblical vision. There are other individuals who come to the church and say, now if they'd only learn how to market themselves better, if they'd only learn how to appeal to a certain homogenous group in the community, this church could be successful if we only got the right furniture if we only had the right worship team if we only had the right production values that we offered to people this church could make an impact and they love the church as well for what the church could be in the future some visions are better than others some visions are good frankly and some are not good but regardless this is not why we love the church we don't love the church for what it could be we love the church for what it is the visible expression of the invisible, glorious, wonderful bride of Christ. You see, what this means in a sense is the church cannot be realized. A young pastor can't say, I'm going to plant a church. If I just organize it right, if I just do the right things, if we just have the right models, we can come to a place where we can realize and we can, we can really realize what it means to be the church. The church is not realized, the church is. It is what God through Jesus Christ has made it. It is not more the church once we have corrected it. The people who love the church love it not for what it was and not for what it can become. They love it for what it is. It is in and of itself the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And as such, we cannot realize it. We cannot make it this. But we can give ourselves to celebrate it. We can give ourselves to experience it. I have written here this phrase. People who love the church for what it was or what it can be ultimately become accusers of the church they ultimately become accusers of the church you're not what the church once was they say you're not what you should be they say not only do they accuse the church but if they're not successful at changing the church they begin to accuse god god what's wrong why aren't you working as you once did what's wrong have you lost your power not only do they accuse others in the church and accuse god they begin accusing themselves i must be a failure I'm not a successful pastor. I haven't made this church behave as the church should behave. It's not behaving as it once did. It's not behaving as it should. Who's the accuser of the brethren, by the way? Jesus rejoices over his church as a pure and spotless bride, presented gloriously before him. The exercise of fellowship in the church is to come together and to sing the song that he's given us, in spite of its errors, in spite of the things that it's not. By the way, I love my church. I think our church is pretty good, do you know? I like most of its expressions, not all, there are things that we can work on, right? I can go to other churches and it's very easy for me to lose myself in a critical spirit over things. I was thinking as we were singing today, it's so nice to hear you sing. In the other churches I've at, I don't even hear the special music teams sing. I hear a drum playing really loud and a really loud guitar, I can't even hear the voices. When it says, sing unto one another with songs, hymns, and glorious songs, I'd like to do that. I don't experience it. It's easy to then just develop a, a sense of condemnation and judgment over those churches. But they are still an expression of the invisible church. And they are to be loved and rejoiced in. And we are to call to be among them to celebrate what cannot be celebrated outside of them, this glory, this expression even when it fails, even when it flails, it is always something wonderful. Always something wonderful. That's the first thing. Pastors, when you go to your churches, don't go out to realize the perfect church. Don't go out to say, as long as we can make the church this way, that this will be a great church. The church is not realized, the church is. The local church is, imperfectly and always has been, an imperfect expression of the perfect wonder of the glorious church. And in every age it has been. You won't go back and find an age in which the church finally nailed it and got it all right. Its glory has always been in the expression of what was invisible and unseen. Well, there's other things I have written here that I'd like to share with you. And now I know what I'm going to speak on next Sunday. (laughs) I'll tell you what, let me just say from that point, I want to talk to you about the glory of the fellowship of the church. And from that point, I want to talk to you about the glory of the songs of the church. And I will tell you this, that in the early church, the singing wasn't a personal testimony. The singing was a corporate testimony of who we are and what he has done for us. It was a community song in which we wanted to say the same things. We wanted to say the same prayers together. We wanted to say the same praise together. We wanted to offer up the same expressions of trust together. And so the language was put together as one language for the people to sing in unison to one another. It was the song of the church. The great experience of coming to the church is not so that you can somehow celebrate your individual devotions throughout the week and sing those songs in a place because you can do that in the shower. The church is a place where you come together and you sing the songs of the church. The glorious, invisible church. It will never be fully expressed and fully experienced in the local church. But it's here. It's here and you're a part of it. Two questions remain. First, are you a participating member of a local church? And second, are you a member of the invisible church? Have you been born again into the family of God? If you have, you bring something of the glory of that invisible church into the local church. So get there and don't deny it your participation. This has been the Bread of Life a ministry of the local Body of Christ meeting as the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about us, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now, until our next broadcast, the Lord bless you.